Hello, listeners. Welcome back to episode three of The Exterminus. If you made it through episode two, um, congratulations. <laughs> I, 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 think we, uh, I think we covered some important things. Um, yeah, and uh, before we get started, I uh, just wanted to put out our disclaimer that this information provided here, <clears throat> excuse me, is not intended or designed to diagnose and or treat any medical condition. And if you think you have a medical condition, you should probably go see your doctor. Well, yeah, you can also call Colby, uh, give him some money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I had a couple. I had a couple more years till I can legally provide. <laughs> Uh, yeah. advice for money but yeah um, well I mean there are all these Instagram um, what do they call them Instagram influencers I think oh uh, yeah yeah taking the market um, you could probably be one Colby you're pretty ripped uh, I mean <laughs> I like to make money <laughs> I think you know the criteria is like a six pack and long hair. So that's it. You've got you've got two of the elements, and you have to do something cool, and you can do backflips. So, ooh, um, I don't know. So Would why you... am I why am I doing this thing? <laughs> <laughs> you should be on Instagram right now, working out outside. I am outside, actually. <laughs> Good to be outside. Um, Anyways, um, yeah, Nate Nathan Charpentier is here again. I don't know. Are you just are you the co-host now, or I don't know if I am or I'm not. I'm <laughs> Maybe I should of... just make you one. <laughs> Honorary co-host. Honorary co-host. <laughs> like great. Yeah. If you ever want to not be, you can just let me know. Um. Depends on if we lost last episode. <laughs> we kind of we kind of went went on for a bit, but ah, it's just it's so easy to with you know these topics and just the importance the importance of them and yeah. I mean, the amount of time we've spent, you know, combined um, looking into this probably must be decades so yeah we definitely lost a few years (laughs) (laughs) trying to learn how to gain a few on the other end right yeah i think you know we're just small sacrifice or just to you know keep the spirit of uh questioning the authorities science um science science so i think uh you know we we like last episode, we were kind of going into something that um, Dr. David Lustig, which is a, uh, I believe he's a pediatrician of sorts, kind of specializing in obesity, um, you know, a topic he covers often in a lot of his presentations, which is there is no like best diet, you know, there's, um, and if you look at 
all the culminations of literature out there analyzing diets, the bottom commonality is that they're made of real foods, uh, yeah. whole foods, you, you know, your meat, your veggies, your fruits, your nuts and tubers in varying uh, concentrations of macronutrients and cal calories and timing. And they're devoid of sugar. Um, and his whole thing is how sugar is kind of this, uh, well, we, we know sugar is just uh, empty, or, you know, empty calories, quote unquote, um, where it's providing a large, um, you know, a large burst of calories with very little in terms of micronutrient quality. Um, so yeah, this is, a. Uh, I I think this is what we were segueing into a little bit, this like notion of, uh, you know, if there's no one right diet, then what is the pattern that we see? What is the common theme underlying, yeah. uh, general, generally what diets are se seemingly effective for improving health, decreasing metabolic, you know, chronic preventable diseases. And uh, Coach Greg Glassman, CrossFit, shout out. Whoop, whoop. You know, nutrition and, uh, what is it, CrossFit in 100 words. Yeah. Eat, eat meat, nuts, vegetables, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. Keep yep. intakes uh, to support exercise and not body fat. Yeah. Um, first two lines, obviously the most important lines, like um, maybe, I don't know if you prioritize that, but it is, it is the foundation of CrossFit. I think something I didn't talk about is how CrossFit came into my life during my practice and how that changed things. But I don't know if that is the same for you. I know you no, um, go ahead and, go ahead and uh, mention it a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. I think, you know, my fifth year, uh, my sixth year of pharmacy school, my last year with rotations. My pharmacy uh, school was six years. Well, I, I was in an accelerated program. So um, it's usually four year graduate. So you, yeah. you get your bachelor's, you would um, take your, I think it's like a PSAT. Oh, I can't even remember the name of the test right now, but it's a pharmacy school entry exam. Um, yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, that, that would be part of the factor of deciding whether you could get into a graduate pharmacy PharmD program. <clears throat> so you have your four-year, you know, three-year didactic, one-year clinical rotation. Gotcha. Um, and my last year in clinical rotations, I was on rotation with, uh, at, uh, a medical center with a DO, um, intern, uh, or osteopathic physician intern mm. who had the same last name as me. Um, <laughs> and so we kind of just like joked about that and he was, someone who did CrossFit, he found CrossFit through his uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach. Mm -hmm. And he was just, I mean, I, the amount of excitement he had over CrossFit was very contagious. Those, <laughs> those new, be, those new beginner CrossFitters. Yeah. Are... You know, it's <laughs> quintessential CrossFitter. Uh, oh my gosh. Actually, 
exercising makes me feel amazing. And look, <laughs> look, I do this thing called CrossFit. You at least have to acknowledge it and talk Bro, about it. If your chin ain't hitting the bar, it doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> So, right, we're getting off track a little bit. Yeah, and then I, you know, I went to the website back back then. Like the main site, CrossFit.com, yeah. was the site. Saw like these thousands of comments. You know, this workout would be posted, and this huge, massive community of followers. And I just got intrigued by the idea and read into the philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, CrossFit 100 words. Some of the looked at the CrossFit Journal, which was uh, at the time. A lot of the articles were freely available, you know, their nutrition articles, their uh, um, methodology articles on how the program worked and all this kind of stuff and tried it out and never looked back. I mean, after yeah. about a couple of months of training um, off site, not really knowing what I was doing, looking like a fool in the forecourt gym, um, People like would come up to me and like, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> you've been at that pull-up bar doing pull-ups, push-ups, and squats for 20 minutes. Um, everyone else is, you know, kind of on the elliptical or yeah. pulling a cable machine. And I'm you're over there like... You're over there panting and sweating. Yeah, looking like I'm trying to, you know, pull a coat or something, but... Um, yeah, and you know, it was really interesting. I, I talked to a few people about it and like people started kind of getting interested and and uh and from there I think I took a break um from it because I moved and just didn't get a schedule in time and it was a few months off and I mean instantly it was just like a complete turnaround. I it's it's like when you you know when you're missing something you see the value of it yeah. kind of thing and then uh when i got back onto it i was very very uh dedicated to uh staying on it just from seeing the benefits um so how did we get on the topic of crossfit again <laughs> Well, yeah, that turns back to, you know, the no sugar notion, uh, you know, CrossFit ah, diet, right. dietary advice is, I mean, Greg Glassman has, Greg Glassman and the CrossFit community have uh, many lectures uh, or workshops and presentations just emphasizing these points. I think if you ask any CrossFit gym owner who has used the, um, you know, zone style or you know, paleolithic style in their community, they will definitely tell you of all the benefits they see from people avoiding highly processed foods and highly sugar ridden foods and even highly processed fats. I mean, it's not like that, you know, it's not like that's a free reign to eat really fatty foods. Um, But at the same time, I think, you know, CrossFit's whole thing is when you go shopping at the, grocery store you want to shop the outer perimeter where all the foods the perishable foods are Um, just avoid the middle aisles avoid the uh yeah so (laughs) everything in those middle aisles (laughs) 
It's actually the trap. <laughs> it's a trap, yeah. Um, Dante's Inferno. <laughs> Dante's Peak. Um, yeah, well, I guess I'll, I'll talk a bit about my history with CrossFit. Um, so back in 2008, my brother actually co-founded um, CrossFit Reading um, with like two other, two other guys. And uh, so that's how I kind of got involved with CrossFit and it eventually went on to just kind of doing my own research with nutrition and this whole ancestral health and paleo diet thing. But, um, yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, great motto and, uh, obviously it produces results. So something, something to be said about that. Yeah. I mean, um, I think, you know, I think uh, when we were brainstorming on this podcast, we talked about, um, Dr. Terry Walls, who is um, the physician who, you know, had uh, multiple sclerosis to the point where she was basically paralyzed. Yeah, she was wheelchair bound. Wheelchair bound. um, And she was still practicing, which was the coolest thing. Yeah, still practicing. (laughs) And then one day just starts eating paleo. um, Yeah essentially avoiding sugar and next thing you know she's walking around and preaching the gospel (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah i think uh thank thank you for reminding me of that i think it's a good kind of lead lead back to the very beginning when you were talking about you know this this whole food approach right getting to the perimeter but all these different diets have the Mediterranean, the zone, you know, you, you mentioned this last podcast about how we're so obsessed with like the macro, right? We're so obsessed with, oh, you need to be eating this many carbs and this much protein and this much fat. And, and the problem with it, like you had talked, you know, mentioned last time was that like, it's always changing, right? And it's like, it's always changing because we'll adopt that particular approach to then a different population that just that particular sort of nutritional environment just doesn't quite work with them. And so then it, then it skews all of what we know and all of our results. And now everybody's confused and nobody knows what to do. So the cool thing about, I guess the, the one, the one cool thing we can extrapolate from all of these studies and all these different diets is that there's one main theme and that is whole foods. It's single ingredient foods. And there's a saying my old grad school professor used to say, and he he would say, if it comes in a box or a can or is made by man, don't eat it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's so simple, but it's so true. Um, And so, yeah, you know, like go to your grocery store, pick, pick up an item preferably in the perimeter of the store. Right. But if you pick it up and if one, it doesn't have an ingredients label on it, that's probably a good thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, isn't that the oddity of it all? Um, Yeah. So like you should like that to me, it's like, you know, I go pick up an avocado, right. Versus like a box of nut fins. Nut fins are really good. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's funny because although I actually know what is in the nut fins, 
like I really don't like, especially as a lay person, like there's so many freaking words they put in there, you know, and majority of them you can't pronounce and you don't even know what it means. And so it's kind of it's almost opposite thinking in that one would think that the more I know about what is in this substance, the more informed I can be about making a decision on whether this is actually healthy for me or not. In comparison to let me grab this avocado, like I know there's fat in it, but <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like there's nothing on the outside saying this is okay to eat or this is not okay to eat. Right. And ironically, that's exactly what is published on boxes and cans and anything that has been processed and like has a nutrition facts. Um, it just takes time to really understand like what all of those ingredients are and what they do. Right. So yeah, instead cool. make it simple on yourself. Be like, look, nature has provided this one single ingredient food and it's chock full of everything you need. Basically it's, it's simple. And then you can take, four or five different simple ingredients, combine them together, and you have something that, although it's complex, is made of single ingredient foods that hasn't been tarnished, hasn't been hampered in any way. Um, and, okay, I was getting a little off track there. <laughs> single, ingredient, <laughs> single ingredient foods that does not include sugar. <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think we're, what we're, we might be getting on to here is that we try to make these rules of nutrition and the rule makers like to simplify to the point of looking at like just calories or just macronutrients. Um, but what is probably more important to the individual is learning um, that generalization is the enemy and... Uh, or gen generalization is rather going to be the falsehood. That's probably a better way to put it. And um, a calorie is more than a calorie. Um, just by acknowledging macronutrients, you are acknowledging that a calorie is more than a calorie. And then when you look at micronutrients, um, that's a legitimate fact and phenomena of food. Um and we're essentially, you know, predominantly carbon and water and made from the earth and, you know, elements can't be created or destroyed. And um, the components in our environment have play a vital role in our physiology. And we know we have physio physiological needs. We know that at this point, I mean, there must be billions of papers on the physiological pathways of um, humans. And we know that a lot of those components are not innate, you know, they're not made within our body and to kind of just discredit them as unimportant to calories or macronutrients is doing a great disservice um, yeah. to, to, the medical literature and to, you know, basic concepts of human physiology um, and cellular biology. So, yeah. 
if we were going to make a rule, you know, a calorie is not a calorie. I think I, I wrote a, an article on that um, years back in RI Health magazine. And, um, you know, just seeing food as something more than calories and macronutrients is critical. Um, and also recognizing that a natural food source like a plant has usually in the hundreds, if not thousands of um, nutrients or nutritional constituents. Uh And, uh, you know, uh, there's evidence that there's a synergistic effect uh, or, you know, mathematically one plus one equals three. Um, This notion that eating, you know, a, a diverse diet of, um, different foods that contain different relative amounts of essential and um, nutrients and also just phytonutrients and, um, you know, plant-derived uh, antioxidants and anti-inflammatory com- compounds and all these other things that aren't necessarily essential but play an actual medicinal role in the food. It's just... Um, like there is medicine contained within, even if we're going to go outside of essentiality and, you know, you want to have this like soiling green moment where, you know, biotech finally makes us a uh, cracker with all the nutrients we need. It's still not going to have all those phyto components that um, yeah. are also playing a, a, a role in our cells. Um, I think Terry Walls, Dr. Terry Walls, first book, uh, minding my mitochondria is a great point. You know, our cells produce energy, our cells, um, create life. And, um, it's not like critical to focus on the cellular level, but big picture, the cellular cellular level is, um, vast. Yeah. It's vastly observed at this point. We have, decades and decades and decades of cell research. Um, So, and we have decades of phytonutrient research, um, you know, like, yeah. Can you, can you just uh, briefly maybe give a couple of examples or describe to the listeners what are phytonutrients? Oh, geez, man, you put me on. Sounds like, because it sounds like a made up term. Yeah, so phytonutrients broken down. Phyto is plant nutrients is you know nutritional compounds. Um, these would be things like I said, like antioxidants, um, mm-hmm. like found in plants. Like coffee is a perfect example. We know coffee has like a thousand. <laughs> I don't remember how many compounds are in coffee, but it's in the thousands. Um. You know, if you look at the compound individually, you know, there are some compounds that are like maybe considered dangerous to cells, but then there are other compounds that seem to have benefit. But the combination of thousands of these compounds in different concentrations just has this completely different effect in in the phytonutrient um, mechanisms within plants uh, play different roles. I think, you know, within our body, our body produces 
um, you know, free radicals. Um, our body has some inflammation from, you know, especially if you're exercising or um, even from disease processes um, uh, associated with aging. And these nutrients that aren't necessarily essential, meaning they're not critical components for our enzymes or our cells to operate, they're rather these kind of things that allow um, our cells to operate more efficiently. They, so I guess, um, geez, what would be a good analogy? Um, I can't, I can't, I can't make an analogy for working because every worker is essential, but <laughs> I'm trying to think of like, you know, if you have not during these times, yeah, right? Right? um, yeah, it's, it's tough so, to put an analogy to it. Um, yeah. you know, it's like you have a gym, I guess a gym would be a good analogy where, um, you know, your gym is going to have people come to it and, um, you know, you might have a, a number of people that makes the gym function and become profitable and, um, you know, you can survive, but then there are, you, you, if you ever get past that number, there's just additional benefit. Like you don't need, um, you don't essentially need extra people because your gym is profitable and it's a successful business. And, but those extra people, especially if they're proactive and positive are probably going to make the environment that much better. I mean, um, it's kind of like around that kind of frame of thinking, it's, it's probably going to add some kind of benefit. Although um, scientifically the cell might not typically actually require that for certain functions. Um, are you still talking about micronutrients? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we're supposed to talk about okay. something different. <laughs> no, I just, I, I got distracted and then I tried to remember where you're going with this analogy. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, you know, um, if you're <laughs> to the cell. Yeah. yeah the cell. Um, yeah. Your, your body does have, <laughs> you know, your body does have some innate um, defense mechanisms for inflammation. But right. if uh, you're getting some naturally occurring from the environment, it could be beneficial. I mean, everything in moderation, this isn't like a, an absolute rule, but there is some evidence to suggest that it is a component right. in health. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Wow. That was a, yeah. that was a, yeah. I, I think I said like a brief, uh, explanation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was trying to think of an analogy on the spot. I wasn't just kidding. Yeah. Oh, man. So hard to think of an analogy. I'll have to... So, yeah. So, so you're talking about coffee. Um, Nate, how much coffee do you drink each day? Um, varies, but pretty pretty good amount. Uh, I try to, pretty good amount. I try to limit it, uh, limit it to before, you know, noon ideally, but sometimes before 2 o'clock, um, yeah. depending on um, – no weightlifting training. <laughs> it's so helpful right. with weightlifting. Uh, 
and everything yeah coffee oh man uh yeah i mean i i'd like to drink maybe a little less but uh it's so tasty too i don't know it it is i know i I mainly drink it for the taste but yeah um it's just too good uh, yeah it is um yeah anyways uh, (laughs) there was something i wanted to bring up um i was asking you about like these phytochemicals and stuff um it reminded me of a lot of like lauren cordain's work and um, he was specifically, I think it was in his book, he talked about this. Um, there's this um, substance that plants produce, and it's called um, phytic acid. Yeah, and phytic acid. The, yeah, and the point of this phytic acid is that, you know, it's produced by the plant and that it, it basically acts as like a chelating agent or like a magnet to micronutrients um especially all your minerals and can therefore prevent their absorption like in your gut right like it's kind of a smart thing to have for a plant and and i think i think his focus was on like the skin so he's looking at like potatoes or something and like the skins have all this phytan like phytic acid or whatever and and it it started getting um, popularized but then what we found out was that um, the bacteria in our gut actually produce an enzyme called phytase that literally breaks down that phytic acid and then helps us to absorb the nutrients. Like how freaking cool is that? Yeah. I think, you know, our gut is so, so plastic, you know, P L A S T I Q E U E. Um, as is a, like a lot of components of our body, it's they're, continuously yeah. reacting to our environment and I think um, you know it, the, the body just responds to the environment I think that's I, I think a lot of the, people would agree yeah. that's a general rule of physiology is that you have genetics genetics might you know limit your ability to respond to certain environmental factors or uh, predispose you to um, certain effects of exposure um, and yeah, I think uh, phytic acid is a great example. Like, oh, all of a sudden, like vegetables could work against you. And um, <laughs> and actually, there's a there's a really good um, ancestral health um, YouTube video about the dangers of eating too many vegetables, which I really kind of enjoy. I think it's a great one. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we know that. The vegetables are beneficial up to a certain point. And then when you're consuming too many of them, they're actually increasing risks of some cancers and um, increasing um, risks of different kind of weird uh, disorders. So it's yeah. like you can't generalize either. Like these vegetarian or vegan kind of diets are the best for everybody um, or they're going to save the planet or this kind of weird stuff because we just don't know that much about it. Um, what we do know is there's some common denominator um, where, you know, having some vegetables and fruits in our diet is beneficial or having at least a minimum um, yeah. for the majority. And, but we can't, we can't um, kind of think more is better. I think that's another rule uh, we should probably um, take into account more is not always better. Um, 
Ah, yeah, that's the that's the golden rule of life. Yeah. Right? So I don't know. I mean, now we're making rules. Yeah. I, I, we don't really need rules. <laughs> yeah. First off, I just want to say that we are not saying that vegetables give you cancer. <laughs> just in case somebody tries to flip our words yeah. around, that's not no, what we're saying. No, not at all. I think uh, <laughs> you know, it's just. Uh, there is there's a silver lining to every kind of nutritional um, concept, or um, and that that has to be taken into account and focusing yeah. on the individual at the end of the day. Yeah the the last part about like this whole foods um, like the, this diet approach is is just kind of basically what you were just talking about like plants like. When people typically go on a diet, right, they typically see improvement. Well, maybe not. I have heard, you know, people um, just having a hard time, like, sticking to something and following it and then falling off the wagon and for whatever reasons. But my main point is that even, you know, we think about, like, the game changers that, Oh, <laughs> Maybe we'll have to have an episode on that. But, you know, like these athletes switching to vegetarian diets and then they're improving and whatever and all these things. The, the point is, is that like whenever we are comparing studies of nutrition and stuff, like there's always some comparison, right? And that comparison being that baseline. And what is the baseline for the majority of people in America it's a shitty American diet. And so like no freaking kidding that you start seeing significant improvements when people go on a diet of some sort, because the one thing, I guess I'll say the two, the two main things that going onto a diet or something like this is providing and that it's one, it's usually that elimination of sugar, like you mentioned earlier, or, you know, eliminating processed foods. Um, and then, the second being eating more vegetables. Like if you, like, you know, we understand the importance of vegetables, like a lot of the things we just talked about. So it's like, yeah, no kidding. You take somebody baseline eating one of 10 on the scale versus, you know, and now they're eating seven to 10. Yeah. They're going to feel better. They're going to have more energy. They're probably going to be less depressed. You know, they'll probably lose some weight. Yeah. Um, I think, um, so I just like wanted to throw like, especially if, you know, in response to that whole game changers thing, it's like, we, we know what nutrients, what micronutrients do as far as like fuel metabolism. Right. So like, oh, okay. Kind of makes sense. The more of those nutrients we, we provide, the faster and more efficient those mechanisms are going to work. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the less, of, of course. Uh, I mean, the less dysfunction we'll have in their absence too. Um, you know, like how yeah. how bad is it to have an absence of an essential nutrient? I mean, like if you drive your car without transmission fluid, <laughs> I mean, nobody in their right mind would try to do that. Um, you wouldn't right. be able to drive, but, you know, then you say, well, what are you doing not getting your essential nutrients? That's like the lubrication for your cells. Uh, that's the yeah. That's the fluid they need to um, operate. And, you know, I just thought of like a windmill of topics flowing, uh, from this, like period, periodizing nutrition, I think is a big one. 
um, you know, keeping your diet whole food based and changing the macronutrient components, maybe with your training goals or your lifestyle, I mean, on a day-to-day basis or a, a, you know, monthly basis, or there are all these interesting components. And I think um, my memory from Rob Wolf, uh, his presentation at the CrossFit Nutrition Seminar, talking about how, you know, he ate paleo and he was dating his wife and his wife was a vegetarian or vegan. I can't remember um, exactly, but, you know, like they went out to eat and like he ordered, you know, like this paleo plate, like he customized his plate and he had like all these veggies and, you know, she got this salad and it was like romaine lettuce or something. I don't know. But it was, it was ironic that they started seeing this pattern where his, his diet actually incorporated, incorporated a lot more variety of fruits and vegetables, even though he was eating meat. Um, And uh, I think that eventually kind of influenced his, his now wife um, and her kind of perspectives of nutrition. And I think we have to appreciate that. Like I have no problem with people being vegan. Um, I have a problem with person being vegan and all of a sudden becoming anemic or, um, losing so much weight so fast and trying to do the same things that they get injured. Um, and, uh, also, you know, developing chronic diseases because they are malnourished in certain micronutrients. They're not, um, taking into account basic, uh, physiological needs of those nutrients. Um, and Nay, I think that is such a good point because, in this age of surplus, why are we so dis- why are we dysfunctioning at that cellular level, at that micronutrient level? Yeah, right? I think big picture. You got we got to look big picture. I think sometimes we get lost in the minutia of theories and uh, different concepts and who's right and who's wrong, um, instead of looking at more big picture elements. Um, we are not wrong. I've never, uh, you know, I'm not always right, but I've never, I've never been Just wrong. Just kidding. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a exactly. Song, uh, song lyric. Uh, yeah. But no, I just, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think, uh, I don't know how far much further we want to get into this or if we want to start talking about five fingers or. Um, yeah, I just want to, I think we've been going pretty long on this. Actually, it's been a good, uh, good discussion. Um, I just wanted to ask you earlier, you mentioned something about empty calories. What does that mean exactly? So empty calories would be, you have a food source. I mean, sugar is one of the common ones, like your typical fountain sodas that have sugar. Mm. Um, Mm. geez. You know what? I hate to admit it, but I think granola's one. <laughs> I'm trying. I, I, I think that's what was one of my embarrassing moments in the nutrition course in college, uh, when the professor said, "You know, granola has little to no nutritional value." And I raised my hand and I said, "No, it does. I eat it every day." It and, comes from uh, grains. Yeah, grains are like, good. I didn't want to look into that because I have a doctorate. And anyway, 
Um, <laughs> so that was like an aha moment for me because the whole time I'm like, well, it says healthy on the bag. Uh, you know, it's whole grains. Right. Oh my gosh. Look at the nutrition label has nutrient, uh, you know, like nu- nutrition facts, but we have these uh, things that we can eat and all we get from it are calories. Uh, they're devoid yeah. of any other benefit, whether it be like, and we got to remember that fiber is an essential nutrient. Um, all the types of fiber, uh, you know, we're not getting any fiber from liquid. Um, mostly unless you're drinking maybe a smoothie, but, um, yeah, like what, you know, you, you talked about American diet. Well, there is a term for it. It's called the standard American diet, AKA the sad diet. And it makes you sad. Okay. It, <laughs> I mean, yeah. and fat and it's sick highly and... processed, highly um, nutrient poor, um, yeah. empty calorie foods um, is the predominant benefactor or, or, or the predominant, not, it's not a benefactor at all. Actually, it's the predominant commonality. Um, yeah. And, you know, our industry is highly profitable on the sad diet and i think there are multiple industries that are highly profitable on the sad diet that include the healthcare industry um in some perspectives so and i think that's something we've discussed in one of the podcasts (laughs) but yeah i mean these these foods that essentially have no no uh nutrient value outside of just pure calories um a lot of the time. Now, I like, I I like this idea. um, Because, like, from my perspective, it's you know, an empty calorie is like you're eating a food that isn't giving you what you actually need in order to process that food, right, or that calorie. And which, like, is basically the same thing you're saying, but. you know, going back to like last podcast where you're talking about, you know, like the calories in calories out, um, kind of that thermodynamic approach. Like, I guess even if you looked at it from that perspective, like kind of very simply, it's like, all right, like that's something you have taken in that you actually can't deduct because it hasn't given you what you need in order to deduct that calorie. Does does that make sense at all? Also like, (laughs) I mean, there's other things to it, too. I mean, man, we could have a lot of discussions on this, but um, vitamin D from diet versus vitamin D from sun and, you know, studies that compare and contrast. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to – we'll talk about vitamin D for sure. That's um, <laughs> so I've been all morning. How hot it's is great. it where you are? I mean, it's uh, – it's, it's, it's like low oh to mid-90s. Gosh. I think it's supposed to be 95 today. Yeah. I mean, I don't have shady area. No. Wow, you are you are a trooper. Um, I want to go for a swim. I mean, that's um, anyway. Anyways, oh yeah, um, yeah. Oh, one thing I want to mention real quick. You were talking about this physiological response. Um, just in general. And I think it's important just as far as um, thinking about like the externist and your environment is that like your body or stress response 
the response is the same no matter what the stimulus is. And I think it's important that people recognize this and aware of this. And once you can do that, you can start to develop ways in which you can help mitigate that stress response. And the main example that I think of is this guy's name is Wim Hof. I know you didn't know who he is. Yep. They know he's known as the, if you want to look him up on YouTube is, is they call him the ice man. Um, and you know, he's got his different techniques from kind of mindfulness, breathing and cold water exposure being, um, one of the big things. And man, ever since I started doing this, like I've definitely noticed a change in my health. Um, but the thing, one thing I think it's helping him to do is that he's able to control his physiological response to stress by just doing this, like one particular modality, right? Like, Hey, this one particular stimulus, but over time, then his body will be able to have that response to then a different stimulus. If that's making sense, right? Like if, if you've, if you train your body, your mind and your body to respond to a situation in a particular way over and over and over, that will be your go-to response. Yeah. I think right? Right. And so I think what, I think what he's doing is he's changing that response. So then now, you know, somebody says something and you're not, you know, going to explode right away. Like it, I know that's a different way of thinking about the response and actually something like verbal that you say versus like a hormonal response, but, but everything's all connected, yeah, I think, right? Um, that's a great point. Um, you know, Wim Hof is, you know, when you're talking about exceptions to the rule, I mean, he breaks almost every rule that the American Medical Association puts out about immune function. I mean, like, yeah. All right, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write him down as yeah. Our, we should have um, Wim Hof. Peri- let's ha- yeah, let's right? have him on um, the podcast. Peri- what are we at? Wim Hof periodized nutrition. Um, man, I thought of something else too, and I lost it after you started talking about Wim Hof. But um, yeah. So I think the cool thing about Wim Hof, which has really put him on the map is that, you know, he can control what we used to think of as unconscious um, functions. Like, um, he can change the pH of his blood um, when scientists ask him to do so. Um, And he can actually activate his immune cells um, on demand. <laughs> All right, don't don't give away too much. Let's. You know, I think we're because I yeah, I would I would love to talk about this topic. Yeah, for an hour I think. Because, yeah, yeah, I talked to um, one of my friends who's a PA, and um, you know, she she and I were talking about how you know we we just accept these things as true, and then when something comes along that totally falsifies it, um, it's kind of like trying to get brushed under the rug, like. A lot of people don't want right. to talk about Wim Hof because, well, geez, that's just, you know, that's pseudoscience or, you know, that's, um, you know, I mean, I think we have to give credence to the fact that even if we accept thing, something widely as fact, 
eventually science will maybe disprove it um, or at least put it into a less significant context. So, yeah, you know. Reminds me of a, reminds me of a quote from Einstein who says that imagination is more important than knowledge because knowledge is limited to what we currently know and imagination contains everything we don't know and everything else included. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, okay. (laughs) To not go over an hour, we're going to switch to our last topic. Nate, tell me about those funky five fingers. Well, Kobe, you were on two, right? I mean, I know, I I know. (laughs) It's funny because then I started so okay so what what are yeah, they what are, they? What are we talking are about a shoe line made by vibram or vibram or i don't know tomato tomato um yeah. i think it is vibram. i think it's vibram um, but you know and it's yeah. basically like this ultra minimalist sole i think the soles are you know maybe a quarter inch thick um and yeah. they conform to your foot so your toes yeah your toes slip in awesome. and you have like freedom to utilize your toes as a gripping uh, for their gripping capabilities and uh they um kind of came from you know like some of this stuff like i don't know the book born to run was kind of like you know, these aborigines oh, yeah. tribes that run 30 miles a day with no shoes or you know, like, they, yeah, yeah, they have Spartan like Spartan sandals, sandals on. Or um, something. They use this technique, uh, which is called barefoot running technique. And I think um, one of the most infamous uh, practitioners is Dr. Romanoff, who, um, you know, teaches this pose method, the POS, uh, P-O-S-E pose method, yeah, uh, which is a barefoot running method. And the concept is that we were born uh, and for millions of years utilized uh, bare, our bare feet to walk. Um, and there's some, some uh, physiological benefit to walking barefoot uh, in terms of like development of stabilization and balance and all kinds of interesting things. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think uh, barefoot I've been wearing barefoot shoes since the first uh, KSO one models came out. Um, I read the study. Um, I don't remember what publication it came from. It was either nature or something. Um, and, uh, you know, I looked at um, stress at the knees, I looked at um, the ability of barefoot runners to run high miles with very little knee stress in comparison to people who ran traditional kind of running sneakers, heel striking techniques. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So I guess what happened when you're talking about uh, knee stress and heel strike and whatnot, um, let's let's give a little background like what how does running barefoot actually change the dynamics of your movements 
and why why is that beneficial i mean, i guess that's the whole kind of point of bringing out this product right was seeing that oh our bodies actually can move better and have less risk for injury when we run barefoot why do you why do you think that is Nate? i believe we have sense sensory in our feet um nerve endings in our toes our feet are um able to contour to different surface um different surfaces in our environment so if you're walking like hiking in the woods and you're walking on a a rocky path um you know if you're wearing very thick soled shoes or hiking boots you're not going to have the same responsiveness and ability to feel out the different contours to the ground you're going to have this kind of more um general maybe like if you step on a rock your whole ant you're going to kind of contort at your ankle versus your ability of your foot to wrap around that rock and grip it yeah yeah that's a good point yeah i think um um, there's a book called uh i think it's called move your dna trying to remember who it's by um but it's all about how you know if we get step outside the normal flat surface thick sold um kind of mediums of walking we see like huge benefits physiological benefits from walking on odd surfaces and walking in minimalist footwear um and it's something that i can't say enough about i think i've been you know when i was a pharmacist i'd have to stand for 12 14 hours sometimes i mean we would sit here and there but i mean you're on your feet all day i think you know surgeons do the same thing a lot of people have to be on their feet for long periods of time and i purchased uh a um an orthopedic shoe that was meant for just that like standing up for long periods of time and i mean i just hated them and um you know i i said you know what i'm just gonna wear my vibrams to work and i did and i got made fun of pretty much every day and i got a lot of questions um, from people who saw me walking in them um and you know, like, how do you like those? Well, I was like, well, I like my feet. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and people would be like, oh, that's so gross. Um, yeah, right. It was like a really common thing. <laughs> I can see your toes, but you really don't see my toes. You just see like the shoe toes. But um, yeah. And what's wrong with toes? Like, why are people so I think there are cultures feet. that think like feet are the dirtiest part of your body. Um. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, and we do everything we can to cover them up and, you know, protect them. So, like, it's just not a. Yeah. Part I of mean, the body you there's definitely the time, risk but... of being barefoot. I mean, um, I think there was a sure, New England sure. Journal of Medicine case study of a, a little, like, a girl, I think she was seven or nine years old, who played at a pig farm and the pigs, um, transmitted uh man i can't remember the name of the disease it was like trich trichomycosis 
it's just this bizarre parasitic infection that uh, burrows into your feet and you develop these like huge larvae that grow in the foot, um, hundreds of them. And it's because you're basically like if you're walking in pig poop and the pigs carry this um, parasite, then you're going to, they, they can live in your foot. And I mean, it's just awful. It's horrid. It's very painful. I mean, and this is, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about times when people might've been farmers and they farmed barefoot and they walked in a pig farm and they get these just awful infections. Um, so yeah, there's definitely evidence for, um, these kind of cultural, um, instinctual kind of, um, repulsions to feet. Um, I think it's very Eastern, Eastern ecology. Yeah. Are you, are you, are you talking about yes, trichinella? Yes. Trichinosis. Yeah. Trichinosis. Yeah. No, I think that's no. why barefoot, barefootness is legitimately dangerous, legitimately dangerous if you're walking barefoot all the time in environments that are predisposed to getting those kinds of conditions. Yes, I wouldn't advocate for not wearing shoes, yeah. but I think the five fingers are protective. I mean, they cover your foot like a shoe. Um, oh, the, yeah, the cool thing about them, too, is that they make so many different yeah designs of the bottom i think i think i got like three different types of patterns you know road more rock trail or i thought it was interesting you know, because they i think what kind of really i mean there was like a huge movement with five fingers i kept seeing more and more people buying them and wearing them and liking them and then at one point they got sued um and they lost the lawsuit yeah. and the lawsuit was the way they worded the way they worded what shoe yeah i mean i didn't uh, know i didn't realize that so they kind of mentioned that it could improve running i think and instead of maybe saying like this may improve your running they were like this will improve your running like as a definitive and that's kind of against the law um and to me i was like so sad because they offered everyone their money back um you know, like if you had proof yeah, of purchase, you could get uh, reimbursed a hundred dollars. And I immediately just bought another pair of Vibrams. I mean, I was like, "There's no way." <laughs> um, and it's it's kind of sad that that personal responsibility yeah. of yeah, you should understand that just because you get a shoe doesn't mean you're going to run better. I mean, there's more to running than just like what kind of shoe you wear. But it's so heavily marketed, you know, like if you wear this type of footwear, you're going to get benefit from it. Or, you know, like uh, these like running shoes or sport specific shoes, they try to market their technology to improve performance. Um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of just the, the footwear industry as, as a whole does it. I mean, I don't think a lot of people sue um, other shoe companies when they buy their shoes and then they still aren't better at sports, but, um, 
you know, unfortunately, I guess yeah. Vroom took a big hit for that. And yeah, you know, I, th- I think, yeah, I think the, the other big problem too was um, like people were getting injured and I know I've had like, this is the one thing that people bring to me the most as far as like when I'm wearing my five fingers and, and like, yeah, you, you, you know, everybody makes fun of you. They're like, it looks so weird. Like, are those even comfortable? Like, why are you wearing those? And the ironic part is like, if you just can look pat, maybe it's a, maybe it's like an image thing, right? You just, you, you just don't see those, that type of shoe. So it just, it looks weird. But I think also like there's, I don't know, there's some sort of irony when it's like, here I am wearing something that's making me actually a human being and it seems just totally you know wacko to everybody else and it's 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 funny but um so i think one of the problems with let me just start let me just say why i got into these five fingers um i was actually having a lot of knee pain when i would run um and a lot of that could have stemmed from just tight tight quads but i didn't know that much about the human body at that point so anyways you know i go to the to the foot center you know the shoe center and they're like oh you know let's find a shoe for you go ahead and and run on this treadmill and we'll watch your feet right so they're watching from behind to see like how much your your foot collapses right or how much your arch collapse and then they make their recommendations based on how much collapse you have and so what ended up happening was i guess i had a terrible collapse because of the way i was running and their recommendations was like literally they were boats on my feet. Like <laughs> I couldn't squeeze through like two boards. that were, you know, four inches across with these shoes on. Like they were just massive. And then the heel they had on them was like, like almost two inches. Like it was just, it was insane. I was like, I know. no if you way. Think of your feet as a, like a hand, <laughs> if you think of your hand and you think of your foot, <laughs> Um, like, would you just put a boxing glove on yeah. to do everything? I mean, but that's what we do with shoes. No, and, no, exactly. Uh, so, you know, like, yeah, no, it's, yeah. Like, what does it do to your hand a, if you just take out its function for yeah. hours and hours and hours or throughout the whole waking part of your life? Um, what do you right. develop? Uh, you know, like, I don't know what, how they define well, injury. And that's a great point because I've, you know, the break-in period is almost infamous with Vibrams. I mean, and they say on the box, like, please use this at, right. as like with discretion, you want to use it for a little bit at a time and slowly develop, um, you know, some kind of adaptation to it because, I'll tell you what, I ran a mile in them and then I couldn't walk up the stairs because my calves were so sore. And, I was, you know, because you're like macho and you're yeah. like, yeah, 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 throw these on and see how they do, you know. Um, and uh, over time, I definitely had a few weeks, several weeks of just getting used to my calves. I mean, my calves were, they felt so tight. Um like, I mean, phenomenally <laughs> just alien feelings in my calves. Like, but then when that went away, yeah, I mean, I never looked back. I felt phenomenal. Like I felt so much more 
benefit from wearing the shoes and like going back to standing on my feet for 12, 14 hours a day, I just got rid of like all the pain, like the like soreness and pain I would get from standing for long periods of time. It, it pretty much yeah. went away. Um, and that's yeah. why I kept doing it. Um, and like I've coached, you know, from 5 a.m. till 6 p.m. some days on my feet the whole time or most of the time, like walking around coaching. People make fun of my five fingers, but I feel great. I mean, I've, I've worn a Fitbit and walked like 12 miles while I was coaching, <laughs> you know, and. Yeah. I mean, it makes, it just, it makes sense, you know, like, and that's the cool thing um, that I like about it. And, you know, like talking about, talking about your story, how it, you know, it had improved these, you know, areas of pain and maybe dysfunction, like that was being caused by some other, you know, this other modality, this other shoe. And I just wanted to mention about like the running, um, as you said, you know, like, obviously like there is that break-in period and, and this has to do with more with how I think the five fingers change the style and how you move and run versus just being a product of the shoe. Right. And I think maybe that's where the confusion and, where the loss yeah, came yeah. in, um, you know, and that's the so part of it was there, you know, the company uh, misrepresenting how these actually can improve your running, but then too, like how to properly use them. And that's the argument I have with a lot of people who are like, absolutely no, they're not good. <laughs> like they're bad for your shins and for your calves and whatever. And I'm like, right. Being, barefoot natural is detrimental to your health like i'm sorry but we wouldn't be here if that's how years. i mean humans so... thrived on <laughs> not wearing shoes um they survived on not wearing shoes and yeah <clears throat> into you know yeah i think there's, that... there's yeah and there's a lot of reasons too i mean you could take like a meta view of this and be like you know, let's look at this energy, right? Like what happens to my body? Like how is my body communicating with the earth when I stand in this grassy field without my shoes and socks on, right? Versus if I do, and I don't know the answers to that, but it's just kind of something to, you know, think about. Like there's, there is this other, there's things we can't see, right? Things we can't, energies we can't interpret, understand, whatever, but, um, the last thing I wanted to mention about going back to my experience with trying to get a better shoe to fix my pain that I was having, well, it turned out that the pain was coming from my behavior, right? So once I learned like how to yeah. actually run <laughs> like a human, um, that that instant instantly went away, and it didn't take a big old boat and something to prevent my arches from collapsing in. It just took a little bit of research and a little common sense <laughs> and experimentation to figure out that like, okay, this actually feels more comfortable and I'm at less risk for injury. And well, what I found for me is that once I was able to adapt my legs and my muscles and all that, like running was, e it was easier. Like it seemed like you're using a lot more of gravity than just trying to use your body like against gravity and we can talk about this more. I don't want to get too far gone. We're already, we're, we're reaching our episode two. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think, time, um, but yeah, I, I mean, 
coaching um, coaching that, i can only i just i can only support it i think um you know teaching people the difference between running techniques like you know when you're a elementary school person and yeah. um oh you know like uh, go run a mile like in gym class when you're 10 uh nobody's telling you about oh well this is the technique you should use it's just go run you know your, your innate your innate uh right. human right. instinct should kick in and take over um but when you actually like look at techniques and you look at how to apply force and how to use your muscles and especially with barefoot techniques and you do these drills with people i mean a lot of times people think they're like the silliest things like they're pointless and then after like a few times of doing it and kind of like they'll notice they'll notice a huge difference they'll notice oh wow my knees didn't feel like they were going to blow apart um you know like i suddenly don't get it injured as much um trying to use this method versus that method and i think like someone from someone like me who absolutely hated running for most of my life um you know when i started doing barefoot running I fell in love with running. I really enjoyed it for years and years. I did multiple 5Ks, 10Ks. Um, you know, I did multiple Spartan races, half marathon, nice. um, longer distance running. And I was never, uh, you know, trail running for six to 14 miles. Um, and I was never like, I never got injured from running. Um, which was, I mean, outside of the beginning period where I was trying to learn how to barefoot run and it took about a year or two to get more confident in yeah. applying the techniques properly and feeling like you're running effortlessly and gravity is working for you and you're not actually like breaking yourself. Like you're not putting the brakes on every time you put the, your foot on the ground and you're actually gaining momentum and using momentum. Um, I mean, it's just a really, it's a transcendence, you know, it's, it's a definition of a transcendence. You're transcending from being unconscious and just moving your feet and hoping for the best to being completely conscious of every step you're taking and how to correct uh, um, your footwork and how to correct your, your patterning of your legs and your balance and your positioning of every part of your body from your your neck, your head, your shoulders, arms, hips, legs. I mean, it's, yeah. it's something to be said. I mean, I recently took a break from weightlifting. Um, I'm in a current weightlifting cycle now, so I gained a, a bit of weight and I wouldn't want to put myself to running right now. But, um, you know, I was like, I, I miss running. You know, I, I did wait like when I came to Oregon, when I first met you guys and started weightlifting with you from that point up until a few months ago when I decided to just start, you know, focusing on running, I just did weightlifting. I mean, I never stopped weightlifting. I may, maybe ran a mile here or there. Um, and uh, my, my determination was in three months, I wanted to run a 10 K. Um, and I did. I went from not running for years. I, I think the last 5K I ran was five or six years ago and ran a 5K in a few weeks, ran a 10K, ran multiple 10Ks. Um, 
and then I ran a seven minute mile at 225 pounds or 220 pounds. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just phenomenal. I I, like everything came back. I did the drills. I, I mean, I, I've always been coaching running. I mean, I always try to keep it on the back burner. Um, you know, run a few, I always like do like, we have like a, a monthly barbecue workout at our gym and, usually there's a, a like every couple of months there's a running workout like 400s or 800s or so uh yeah and i think just focusing back on running running i think i was running like one to three times a week um and then mixing it up with biking and rowing um and it was awesome you know and and it was also just to prove that i practice what i preach nice. i mean that's what i preach to my like the athletes at the gym and you know, and then they're like, oh, when's the last time you ran? And it's like, oh, gosh, you know, low blow, man. But, you know, um, I think it was funny that, you know, people were seeing me out running. I, I wore like my super safety green basketball jersey that's way too tight and uh, just a good time. You know, it was a good time being out, being out in the sun. And um, and I think everyone got a kick out of it because you know, they would see me running around town and they're like, Oh my gosh, it's neat. Like running like something they never see. And, um, anyhow, yeah, I think there's so much benefit to, um, the barefoot movement that it just, it just squashes everything else. Like look how small of a, a niche it is and look at the giant that it's trying to take down. It's like David and Goliath, you know, you have like, all these major manufacturing shoe companies that are trying to push these like crazy running shoes that have like two inch soles and made of like pillow fibers. And (laughs) yeah, it's for the cushion, man. So you can have a a nice, gentle, relaxing run. I'm surprised they don't get sued. Like feel anything. So many running uh, or people that run in those shoes that get injured. And I met so many barefoot runners that never get injured. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it's those pads are just fueling the improper movement, right? The problem is that people are having knee, knee issues when they run. So, oh, well, let's put more pads in the shoes so that <laughs> some of the energy is transferred directly from the earth to the knee. It's just, yeah. it's, yeah, it's not, it's like the drugs, right? Like here, people are, people are coming in with problems. I wanted to mention like these, this idea of um, like a crutch as far as, you know, getting an orthotic or something like that. Right. It's like, Oh, we got, I'm looking at you and I see that your feet are collapsing when you walk or whatever. Um, we need, we need to fix that from happening. So let's, let's stick an insole in there. Right. That arch gives a big old arch. And so we'll prevent your arch from collapsing. But the problem to, is that that's to, not actually what it's doing. That is exactly my... what happened to my wife snow. Um, she had a, a condition that she, her feet were improperly positioned. Um, and they tried to give her an arch. And when she mm-hmm. went barefoot, it completely changed her, her condition. Um, I mean, like, yeah, just to emphasize yeah. the point, the individual, like this is not like everyone should wear barefoot. Like we can't generalize, remember. 
But I think at the individual level, you will see people who require orthotics, like you're saying, like only to prove your point is like my wife is a perfect example. She went from not running to running multiple marathons. um, And she absolutely attributes it to barefoot running shoes and barefoot running technique. And um, yeah. 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 So as far as, yeah, it's not, it's not actually fixing the problem. Like maybe our feet are collapsing because they're too weak because we've been ingrained to wear this shoe our entire life. And now our bodies have just become dependent on the shape oh. of that shoe and the function of that shoe. So much. It's the so, boxing glove. You, you get where I'm going with this? It's just like you put a shoe on and now you are expected to rely on that shoe to prevent you from having bad form. No, I'm sorry. Your bad form needs to be prevented by you changing the way you move. And that starts well, with you awareness. Know, you're you're getting fatter because you're not using our our belt machine that shakes your belly. <laughs> I mean, do you remember that machine in the 50s? Like you stand on it and you put the belt on and it just vibrates and you're supposed to stand for an hour. I yeah. I mean, it's like the same concept. Yeah, it it's like your this shoe funny. is the the solution to all your problems. But like, what did people do before shoes? I mean, shoes. When did shoes come about? Like, I mean, Jesus wore sandals, right? I mean, uh, you know, five thousand is that two thousand years ago? I mean, yeah. five thousand years ago. What 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 proportion of the population was barefoot? Yeah. And I'm willing to guess it was a considerable um, proportion, and. Uh, I want to know how much we're, we're wheelchair bound. I think it's sad. Their knees. And... Yeah, I know. I mean, it probably didn't, probably didn't have wheelchairs back then. But it's sad. It's the, sad the to point, see. The point a, being was a concept that has, you know, when like when we're talking about evolutionary medicine, this concept has extreme applicability to human evolution. Um, it has. It, it, it's too well documented. I mean, if we were to take into account the millions and millions of people who may have lived their whole life barefoot or wearing some kind of minimalist shoe. Um, there's too much data. Um, and if we try to account for the problems with feet and hips and knees and back and, and look at, you know, the relationship or how many people got off, having those issues from wearing Vibrams or five finger shoes. I think it gets, uh, you know, I think it's kind of a desk drawer. Yeah. Thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who want that to not be the case. Um, my, my, because their shoes are, you know, they want to say yeah. the boxing glove is better. Um, yeah. Right. So my, my approach to this too is that, you know, the more we can talk about these types of things like walking and running, just like normal movements, right? The more we can approach these and become aware of how these behaviors may be contributing to our health, and I think that's something that should be shared, you know. Um, you know, you have all this knee problem because of you're not walking 
correctly or maybe not running correctly or something. And now you're taking drugs for your pain and now you're becoming reliant on those drugs that aren't actually fixing the problem the cause the root cause of that problem i think some and uh i mean there's you know we can talk about we could talk about the long-term use of you know oh, gosh. Insects I mean, and don't things get like me started. that and how detrimental they can be but i think uh, yeah I mean, you know, just, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's too much credence i think just there as, are shoes you yeah. can't actually barefoot run in um because they're so restrictive i think yeah uh, no, yeah you know, my brother who ran minimalist he joined the army and um you know he had a lot of ankle issues running in boots uh because he was a barefoot runner um oh sure and he would have a lot of trouble yeah. you know running in boots and he would get a lot of pain and i think he went to the physician once and he was like how long have you been running with this pain? And he was like, Oh, months and months because he was deployed. Um, and they're like, yeah, your ankle is almost broken. Like, <laughs> and uh, like it, it was like the constriction of the boot um, and the way he couldn't like use his ankle in a certain way. And, yeah. um, you know, not to say like that happens to everybody, but um and there are people that can run in boots all day, but there's a certain technique to running in boots that might be the best. But then you also look at, right. um, you know, military issues and what are the most common injuries that happen? Low back, knees, hips. Um, yeah. Musculoskeletal injury. Um, musculoskeletal. Yeah. You know, if you look at like the work of like Matt Wenning, the strength coach, Matt Wenning, it's from not being strong enough. Um, just not having the physical strength to uh, prevent injury. And there's multiple re- we should probably do that as a podcast one day. Um, you know, strength as a, as a health factor. Um, and, uh, you know, it's true. I mean, if, and my brother was a pretty strong guy. I don't think he was, um, you know, anything to shake a stick at. He was, did powerlifting. And yeah, so I think, uh, you know, technique being cognizant of your running and your footwear has impact just like the drugs and it's very very analogous it definitely takes a lot more concentration and focus and probably energy too like what you were saying earlier have just an awareness of where you're putting your foot, why you're putting it there, how that's going to make your body want to adapt, just having that body awareness in order to then focus on how you're actually moving. It's going to take a lot more work, but in the end, it's inevitably going to be better for you. Um, Nate, we are well over time as usual. (laughs) I guess we've just, Oh yeah, I know things to say i mean the, I we're, the we're people the need here. to I mean, know just the concepts that just flow from every episode um yeah so this is great yeah i think it did um, hopefully that makes sense you know i think we're getting a lot of ideas here and yeah the ideas are just sprouting from other ideas and there's plenty to talk about that's probably why <laughs> Well, (laughs) agreed. Well, um, 
just wanted to um, thank you again, Nate, for coming on and sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience to all of our listeners. <laughs> and if there are any left, um, <laughs> you can feel free to uh, also check me out on Instagram at um, the externist, and that is just with an X. Um, and then there's I also have a website. Um, should be going up. It is www.colby. Thank you uh, for doing this podcast. I think it's a huge benefit to, uh, you know, spreading the message, the good message and getting the information out there. And, uh, this is what we need. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm happy. So excited. Science. All right. Thanks, Kobe. <laughs> All right, Nate. We'll talk now.